What is it, Niobe? I can't help it, Morpheus. I can't help thinking, what if you're wrong? What if all this, the prophecy, everything is bullshit? Then tomorrow we may all be dead. But how would that be different from any other day? Hello, 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 Stargate darlings, dear ones, near and friendly and foreign alike. Come ye and watch the great Stargate episode of Prophecy. Season 6, we're near the end and they suddenly remembered that, oh my god, we need more Jonas storyline <laughs> because he's barely featured in this season. Here, and he's got a couple of good episodes, like Descent is all about his, oh, I'm not being accepted by the team. And then it's really nice to see he gets accepted by Colonel O'Neill as a member of the team by the end of this one. Took a whole season, all of season six, for him to get there, but he got there. It's very nice to see. Um, this one is written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, who you would think would bring the jokes, but kind of don't. Eh, this isn't quite as a serious episode, all things considered. Uh, the funny bits tend to come from Colonel O'Neill, from Richard Dean Anderson, who is improvising a good deal of it, I, I believe. Um, and directed by William Waring, who is actually a camera operator on Stargate, and every now and then they throw him an episode, you know, every now and then someone on the crew gets to direct an episode. So I think what you find in this episode is that it's very static, very still. There's an actual briefing scene, one of one of the scenes in the briefing room, where they describe it in the audio commentary as Mount Rushmore. And that's by design. Like, he wanted the three of them, whoever it was, to be standing there in a line, just looking at their faces with nobody really moving. <laughs> that's, that's how it is for most of this episode. This episode, I'll say it, is a cameraman's episode. <laughs> it's all about how this, the camera angle is set up and shot. Um, and so I found it a bit actually lifeless and dull. All of it just a bit sort of ringing hollow and a bit dead behind the eyes, <laughs> to be honest. But it's got so much plot in it, doesn't it? Lots of plot. And as I've been chirping away about, um, I'll just remind you, this is one of the half a dozen episodes that I had on a DVD when it was, for years, the only Stargate that I had um, in my little corner of New Zealand where it wasn't aired on TV very regularly. Uh, <laughs> so this episode and all the backstory and the plot that they're doing to set up how all the system lords have been pushed away and subsumed by Anubis and Lord Yu is opposing and Lord Mott may, you know, bargaining this and that and whatnot, the power struggles. They're setting it up for full circle, but it also served to educate a young me <laughs> in just what the hell is going on in the wider universe of Stargate at the moment, at this time. Shall we begin? Um... Previously on Stargate SG-1, we got all the Cassandra stuff with the, the little horses, the Hoktar backstory, you don't need all of that. Um, but five points and five points for beloved recurring guest stars who feature in that flashback to the other episode, uh, Dion Johnston and Alex Zahara in full makeup for those two weird uh, guys with the uh, genetic modifications. Um, 
And then, yeah, here's the episode starting with some guy on some planet called, you know, I am the leader of my people. We are a simple people. Lord Mott shall return in 12 days. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Standard Stargate stuff at this point. We are some people and you are on some planet. Welcome. <laughs> it's getting a bit procedural. <laughs> Anyway, the point of this whole meeting is not the people, not the planet, not Lord Mott. It's, the point is that Jonas is not okay. And you know he's not okay because of the swirly music <laughs> that they play in the background. He collapses, which leads us after the credits for a uh, fantastic uh, doctor saying, Well, there's nothing wrong with you. You're in perfect health. Moment. Um, which gives it one point for the episode there. There's going to be more exams. Um, one point for the front gate stock footage guys walking around. Uh, more backstory. Ball abandoned the planet. Mott's an imposter. Yada, yada, yada. Apparently, they're not allowed to free this, these people without asking SG-1 for help. Is this the prime directive? I don't, I don't know. Janet Fraser orders a second MRI on Jonas, just to be safe. And at this point, I, I have to wonder, you know, I've worked in medical field, not as a medical practitioner, as an administrator, and here I just wonder, where the hell is this MRI machine that they have? Do they have one in the mountain? If so, why? How? Where? Um, what normally happens anywhere, anywhere, is that hospitals get them, <laughs> and even military personnel, if they need an MRI, get put in an ambulance or on a gurney and sent down to the local hospital. They get a referral for their health care. Anyway, apparently they have one in the base. And Janet Fraser has large sheets that print out of it at a moment's notice, um, rather than just viewing it on your laptop screen. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's move on from the pedantry of uh, radiography. Um, radiology. <laughs> no, radiography is the actual taking of the images. Anyway, uh, Jonas is off duty and he's pouty about it, but Colonel Jack O'Neill says, no, no, Dr. Fraser has to do it, so you should be cool with it. As if Colonel O'Neill has ever been cool with that. He's the first one to complain whenever a doctor says he's not fit for duty. Ah, bull hockey. <laughs> I'm as fit as I ever was, you know, so a little weird reversal there. Maybe Tilk should have said that. He's the pragmatic one. Um, five points of the episode because the Tok'ra are coming and it's the voice of Gary Jones who says that. And of course, Gary Jones features in the episode a bit more widely later on. And this scene is the one that I mentioned, yeah, the, the Mount Rushmore, where it's just so dead and lifeless in this. Oh, God, it's like everything's grinding to a halt here bit boring. One point, though, because there is a push and swell on the uh, Jonas Quinn line. What if she did something to me? Uh, referring to Nearty. And then again, another push and swell on the scene ending when Janet Fraser says there's something, there's intracranial pressure. And then one more point for the front gate stock footage guys walking around the outside of Cheyenne Mountain. 
uh, I guess it's the next day, Jonas is not convinced he needs surgery. He's so pouty about this whole thing. Like, what happened to the wide-eyed Jonas Quinn of earlier? Mr. Enthusiasm, Mr. Optimism. Now he's like, no, leave me alone. You have to do what I say. Everyone has to do what I say. It's my birthday party. <laughs> um... SG-1 is going for a tactical assessment of this planet and freeing them. Why are they freeing these people? They're poor people on a poor planet with no resources, nothing to speak of. They're ragtag refugees who would be a burden on anyone. Um, that's not the American way, is it? The, the American way is go to oil-rich countries and you know, here and blah, 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 blah. I won't go on, but you get my point. It's like, these people, well, they don't have any oil under the, under the sand. How did... It's, it, <laughs> Greg, Greg Proops, the comedian, has this wonderful joke. I think it's Greg Proops. It's not my joke, but I'll tell it poorly here. He says something about George Bush, blah, 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 blah. It's amazing how all of that American oil magically found its way under the sands of Iraq. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> anyway yeah apparently SG-1 are just the good guys and they liberate people because it's the right thing to do not because of anything to trade one more point because the Dr. Fraser line um, when she's talking to Jonas Jonas says maybe I need to have this extra magical uh, foresight power and Janet Fraser says well, maybe you're enough already. You're valuable enough already, which is another roundabout way of saying, you know what, Jonas? There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and I just find it so funny when doctors say that in Stargate. <laughs> Hence the point. Um, are you keeping up with the points? There is a shitload of single points scored in this episode. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Jonas has the... Uh, the breakthrough vision and runs up to Colonel O'Neill just as they're about to leave through the Stargate and says, hey, you have to scrub the mission. And it's nice, yeah, like I was saying, nice that Colonel O'Neill trusts him. He takes a look around like, okay, this is a crazy man, but it's a member of my team, so all right, we'll do what he says and then we'll take him in his word and figure it out later. <laughs> That's nice to see. And uh, I love that, um, that little bit... <laughs> Something like, nah, screw the prophecy <laughs> from O'Neill, <laughs> which is a little, just, yeah, made me think of this. In a tea kettle, this is the temperature you agreed to in the roommate agreement. Oh, screw the roommate agreement. No, you don't screw the roommate agreement. The roommate agreement screws you. <laughs> you know what? Go to hell and set their thermostat. I don't have to go to hell. It's 73 degrees. I'm there already. <laughs> Ah, uh, the Big Bang Theory. Such fun. Um, but Mott is not a forgiving god, of course. We get that whole story about how um, they will rise up against him because of all the executions of the sick people that he did. One point for a push and swell on this. One point for another push and swell when the sneaky guy, the spy, goes away with his sneaky gold handheld communication device, Ball. 
One point for the front gate stock footage guys walking around the front door of Cheyenne Mountain as uh, Jonas is deteriorating. He's got a sweat going. Um, he sees the uh, vision of uh, the accident. So five points because Sergeant Siler gets injured and the capacitor overhauls spike in the flux something. One point for the front gate stock footage guys walking around the front door of Cheyenne Mountain. One point because uh, Jonas goes to talk to Sam Carter in the hospital bed and says, how are you? And she says, a little overcooked, Dr. Janet Fraser says, I'll be fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and we get the little talk about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, insert breaking bad thing here. Um, 10 points, just wildcard points. I'm awarding it here because of the uh, Colonel O'Neill. You're here to torture us, yada yada, etc. et al. <laughs> All this cheeky guff that he gives him. Very funny. Very much embracing the fact that all this is becoming procedural at this point. <laughs> in this season alone, he's been held in a hundred fucking gold prisons and about to be tortured, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's like this meme. I, I saw it as a meme. I'm sure it's from a movie that's from recently or something. I don't know what movie it is. I don't know anything about it. But it was just these ragged guys about to be hung from a, a gallows. And there's this one scared guy and there's another guy looking over who's like really ragged and rough and like he looks over like, huh, your first time, huh? <laughs> first time facing gruesome execution, huh? Yeah, been there, buddy. <laughs> I don't know what that meme is. Yeah, I don't know where you'll find it. That's something I saw and it's funny and that's what Jack O'Neill's doing here. Hence the wildcard points. I enjoyed it. Um, and this is the line here that explains so much of the other things that I've been thinking about. It is well known amongst the system lords that an iris protects your chopper eye. I suspect you use one of these devices. Um, that line has been in my head for the years I've been watching Stargate, and I didn't really know that it came from this episode or this scene. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I you know, felt that what contributed to this episode feeling a bit dead was also the lack of glowing eyes for this gold. Um, he has some super evil gloating moments, and he even has a brain scrambling moment of some... We all love a good scrambled brain with the hand device thing. No glowing eyes, you know? He's... This guy is Mr. Smiley, isn't he? He's got this really evil smile on his face as he tortures and gloats over people. And that's exactly when we want the, the gold glowing eyes effect on an evil, gloating, laughing maniac like that. I missed that. Um, but I do have to say, this whole speech he gives about how I will be the one who destroys Stargate Command. And he talks about them like they're the biggest deal in the fucking universe. It reminded me of the TV show Thunderbirds um, from the 60s, <laughs> which I watched a good deal of as a child and may even do a podcast series about when I'm finished with Stargate. In Thunderbirds, there's this evil, if you've never seen it, the evil one whose name is The Hood, I don't know why. He's just 
the evil bad guy. And he's always talking about, if I could conquer international rescue, I could control the world. As if international rescue are the biggest deal in the universe. And it's a bit weird. <laughs> like, the world is wider than this. Anyway, that goal talks about SG-1 as if they're the biggest deal in the universe. Um, anyway, Jonas has this vision of a gunfight that's going wrong. And I counted eight red shirts who died, so eight points in this attack on the SGC, and ten points because General Hammond is wounded and technically is in a gunfight, so he is in the action, yay. I don't get to reward those points that often, the ten points for General Hammond, I'm so glad they're there. Um, it doesn't go well in the vision because if you're keeping track, in this episode, <laughs> Samantha Carter has died. General Hammond dies, Gary Jones dies, in a moment, in another vision, Teal'c dies. <laughs> Everybody dies. Where are we up to on the scoreboard? Has someone ever kept a scoreboard of which members of SG-1 have died the most? It's always Daniel, <laughs> but in this one we notch up some other points for other people. Um, I got ten points for a reference to Back to the Future, of course... You know, the obvious reference for this whole episode is Back to the Future, you know, a prophecy fulfilled, got to get there before 1955 and the clock in the, the book with the betting information, all of that stuff. And there's also references to Minority Report a little bit. Was that before this or after this? In any case, this episode is like standard future-telling um, paradox fair. This is very standard fear, so 10 points for that reference to all of that. And not to mention the shot of the hand walking through the wheat fields in a vision. You know, Gladiator, best picture. Year 2000, I believe. Um, anyway, and in the actual attack, um, four more red shirts die, so four points before Teal'c dies. Um, one point for the push and swell when the scene ends, uh, Colonel O'Neill and Tilk and SG-15 have escaped, and he says to the daughter, Stay out of sight, lady! We'll be back! And of course she doesn't, because, I mean, this, yeah, talk about procedural, like, here's her story we have missed entirely, the story of how she's taking over the world of her father and the leadership and refusing to be kept down in a man's planet, and, you know... She's the one who actually saves the day, <laughs> and all that we have to say to her is, stay here, stay out of sight. But anyway, there you go. One more red shirt dies point, because he dies in the real battle, I think? It, it looks that way. I believe they drag him out afterwards at the end of the episode, come to think of it. But anyway, he, he goes down in the real battle to show the mortal danger that Teal'c and O'Neill are really in. The daughter, as I just said, shoots Lord Mott in the goddamn back, and the mid-brain scramble, like, talk about frustration and not being able to get your gun off. <laughs> it's the end of the episode. One more point for the front gate stock footage guys walking around the outside of Cheyenne Mountain. And all is well. Dr. Fraser says, for the very last time, everything's fine, get out to here, it's all out of your head, 
now leave my patient to recover. And we end with that little chit-chat about the prophecies. How did this happen if the other thing didn't happen and vice versa? Lucky guess. So I made that a total of 77 points for this episode. But then I had to add five more points because there is a director cameo in this one. Um, Will Waring is... Uh, the author of the book that Jonas is reading. It's called Precognition, Your Dreams Do Come True, written by Will Waring, and there's a photo of him on the back, apparently. I wasn't able to freeze frame it, but it's uh, noted that that occurs. So a total of 82 goddamn points for this episode. Who would have thought? It's such, like, such a nothing episode. So um, procedural, as I said many times. It's kind of like another episode where we go to a planet and we're battling gold and these poor people, we have to foster their uprising. Blah, 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 blah. But so much happens. So many front gate things and pushing swells and <laughs> doctors saying people are okay that it racked up 82 points. I can't wait to do the next one. Um... As always, I don't know when it will be, because I'm insanely busy. I have a new job, I'll tell you all about it sometime. But full circle, the next one is fucking fantastic. And remember, your destiny is not written. Dr. Brown? I brought this note back from the future, and now it's a race. Of course it's a race! But what does that mean? It means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Both of you. We will, Doc. Stand back. All right, boys, buckle up. 